Welcome to the Game Plan Podcast with Judah Newby and Brian Perkins, breaking down all things Seahawks. Snap to Wilson. Wilson under pressure from Daniels. So it, it, it reminds you how you have to do right. You have to do uh, uh, make the plays and, and not give away things as, as we gave them football on the five-yard line. And in a really tight game against a really good team, that's how it goes. And that's how they get their chance to win. Uh, they played a really good, solid football game and, and um, took advantage of their ops and did a good job with that. And we know they're a really good club and, and uh, we know we can play a lot better. Well, the Seahawks' first game is in the books and plenty to talk about. A 17-9 defeat to the Green Bay Packers. A lot of good on defense, a lot of bad on offense, some stuff in between, and uh, some penalty issues that we'll get into as well. Alongside Brian Perkins, I'm Chua Danubi on 1029thegame.com. What's up, Perkins? How's your Monday going? By, by the way, welcome back from vacation. Yes, yes. Uh, we uh, had to go solo on Friday, and it was weird. Well, who did you pick to win the Seahawks game? Uh, Green Bay. You picked Green. So you and I both picked Green Bay there. Yes. Okay. Well, uh, so I guess from that perspective, I can we are surprised, you, right? <laughs> I did not predict 17 to 9. I predicted uh, 31 28 in overtime. Oh, okay. What about you? What, what kind of game flow were you thinking? I was thinking maybe not that high scoring, but I was thinking both teams in the 20s, you know, somewhere in there. Once the first quarter ended, though, I knew this was a different type of game. Because it did not take long to know and to realize that the Seahawks' offensive line just couldn't block anybody. Run game, pass game, it wasn't going to happen. I mean, the first play of the game, uh, Riso Diombo just totally whiffed on a block. And, uh, boy, Green Bay doesn't have a great defensive line, but they look like world beaters. <laughs> and, you know, my, my default last year was to come to the O-line's defense, or not to their defense, but more to, like, point to the ways in which they did well. For instance, when I think about last year, I think about the Detroit wildcard game, and they moved people around in the wildcard game, and that was awesome. It's just, it's never consistent. They might have a good game down the road in 2017 here or there, but this version of the O-line that we just saw in week one, I mean, that's that's like a 9-7 and seven football team offensive line at best. I mean, if you don't have the defense that Seattle does and the quarterback that Seattle does, you're going... You might go 6-10 and 10 with that offensive line. That's how bad it is. It, it was embarrassing. It was. It was straight-up embarrassing. It. I, I mean, at what point and, – and look, it's week one. There's a lot of football left to be played. You and I both had them losing. I mean, I, I don't know if it's – you know, game one is not the end of the world by any stretch, and I fully expect the Seahawks to win the next four or five games straight. That being said, at what point is there any accountability on the offensive line for, from the coaching staff? Against the coaching staff. And by coaching staff, I mean Tom Cable. Whether it's talent evaluation, because this team has spent money and resources the last couple seasons getting offensive line. It's something that you and I have been talking about for multiple years on this podcast. And they have. They've spent first-round picks. They've spent second-round picks. They've spent third-round picks. They spent $8 million to get Luke Jokel. They, you know, they, they have spent resources and time. And the offensive line is a GD disaster. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's a sieve, man. How many times do you see Seattle approaching the line of scrimmage? And what's your first thought? My, At least for me yesterday, it was like, which Green Bay defensive line is going to make a play this time? Because 
I mean, take your pick of of guys that were just breaking through the line. And it, it's one thing to not pass protect because I understand that there's a lot of good rushers in this league, and I it's tough for any NFL offensive lineman to be a consistent pass protector. But they couldn't run the football at all. Like there were no holes to be had either. So if you can't run, for if you were able to run the football, Perkins, you could set up the play action which is a little bit easier to press protect on. And that's the Seahawks bread and butter. If you can't run, you don't have the play action. And you also have second and long and third and long. So it's conventional dropbacks. And now you're really screwed. It just all goes together if you cannot run block. And the pass protection was was even worse. It's, I, I guess it's hard for me to predict how sustainable Seattle's offense is going to be in 2017, or is it always going to be feast or famine? What I saw was well first of all and I agree with you 100% by the way you know you even look back at the fumble play that completely flipped the game on its head you know Joko got embarrassed I mean completely embarrassed on that play it was a joke and Mike Daniels oh. did the same move and you know Seahawks be damned right now they're playing this exact highlight <laughs> on ESPN right now Mike Daniels did consecutive just easy fundamental swim moves one on Glowinski and one on Joko to get the sack and then force the fumble it's I mean, it's embarrassing, man. It's it, it truly is, and and the problem is when your offensive line is this bad, and you're right about running the football. The team completely abandoned the run by the end of the first quarter, which made things really difficult on third and short. Because what you saw was, you know, third and two, third and one, obvious passing situations, obvious passing formations from Seattle, which makes things way easier on the defense. When it's third and short, the defense should be guessing what you're going to do. They knew what Seattle was going to be doing which allowed the defense to pin their ears back, especially that defensive line, and create havoc. That was a huge problem. And then here's the other issue with an offensive line being as bad as it is. Your opportunities are so few and far between that when other players don't make plays, it amplifies that and magnifies it times 10. Let's look at the two Jimmy Graham drops. You know, in any other game, you know, where you can actually move the damn football – are we even discussing that? Are we even remembering it? You might go, oh, man, that drop was brutal, but, hey, they still scored 24 points. Or Russell Wilson missing Tyler Lockett down the field early in the game, uh, you know, overthrowing him wide open. That would have been six points. You know, once again, that's a play that happens all the time. You know, good quarterbacks overthrow players. Aaron Rodgers did it th- throughout the game. And you go, ah, oh, okay, well, that was a misplay, but they were still able to do X, Y, and Z. When you have such little room for error, that means that everyone else has to play damn near perfect football or you have no chance to win. Let alone. I mean, that's the way it looked to me is when you have you know so few opportunities, if any mistakes are made, you're not scoring. Especially on defense, too. I mean, think of the defensive players that go out there against the best quarterback in the league, in my opinion, playing at Lambeau Field. You know your offense isn't doing garbage, so you have to play perfect football against the best quarterback in football at on his home field, like that is a tall, tall order. And shoot, man, they were they played great. They were awesome. They played lights out. They were so good. I mean, I mean, they shut out Green Bay at home for a half of football. I that's not going to happen again this entire season. Any of Green Bay's other seven games that they play at Lambeau, I can guarantee you right now they will not be shut out for a half. They it, will score. It was incredible. Like, and that's the frustrating thing about the game, right? And once again, I don't think you or I think the world is ending now. I do think that Seattle's not going to make the Super Bowl with the offensive line the way it is. I mean, if they play that way, they 
they'll barely even make the playoffs. And I, I had the same thing. I said, uh, <laughs> Seattle will not go to the Super Bowl this year because of the offensive line, which I'm pretty sure is what I said last year and you said last year as well. And um, it came true. And, and it came to And fruition. honestly, the year before, it's getting worse. But and they have a better defense on paper this year than last year. They do. Sheldon Richardson with, was a world beater in that right. game, constantly and disrupting. Providing, providing health which we saw was a game. Like, even last year, technically, if Earl Thomas stays healthy, there's a chance they go to the Super Bowl with that offensive line because they get the one seed. Earl Thomas was ridiculous in that game, by the way. Like, how happy he was, was he to be back? This oh is a guy that God. was talking about retiring like two hours after he breaks his leg and is out there this year just wrecking fools. I mean, that was crazy. I mean, really, there, there were a lot of positives on the defensive side that give you hope that if you can find a way to do something offensively. Something. But but see, this is a frustrating thing. You know, they targeted Jimmy Graham in the red zone multiple times, which was great to see. Obviously, no success doing so. And whether that was officiating on one play and then, you know, uh, just not able to get his hands on a football and another one, double coverage in the end zone. But once again, you know, if, if the offensive line is like this, because you mention it, no, not exactly world beaters in Green Bay, which does not inspire a lot of confidence I think moving forward, like that's the the nerve wracking part, right? Is they're not going up against, a, you know, one of the top 10 defensive lines, one of the top five defensive lines in football here. They're going up against a better than average group. And they, yeah. you know, and Green Bay looked like an all world defense. So that's a good point. And if I'm going to really push myself to find silver linings here, that's what I'm going to try to do here. Okay. Yeah. It's uh, game one. For technically a new group, because Odiombo is starting at left tackle and Jokel is here playing his first game. For so now. right, game one for a, for right, but that's what you had. <laughs> game one for a new group. So regardless of who you play and where you play, there are probably going to be some bumps in the road. That's fact number one. Fact two: Green Bay personnel-wise, defensive line that might be slightly above average. I do think Mike Daniels is underrated, but he's not a pro bowler and he looked like a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Um on the road is tough. I mean, I know Lambo's not known for being like it's going to get crazy loud on you, but surface is different. Everything's different, so it makes you slightly uncomfortable. It's just another added layer, I think. And then four is um and it's partly on the offensive line, but Seattle became really predictable. As you mentioned, they they were in throwing formations on third and short. There was no guesswork that needed to be done by the defense. And that makes you, as you mentioned, they makes them aggressive and it makes them, you know, it gets your defense so downhill that puts you even more on your heels as an offensive line. In order for Seattle's offensive line to not even be good, but be average, they've got to be unpredictable. I think they got to be playing at home <laughs> and they got to be able to run the football because if they do those things, then you're setting up play action or you're at least setting up plays where the defense has to think before just rushing right at the quarterback. And it gives you another half second on, on your side to pass protect. Uh, they didn't have any of those three things yesterday in green Bay. And I don't know, maybe my question would be, are we going to look back on this effort by the offense at the end of the year and say, this was the worst performance of the offense this season because we had a couple of those member in Carolina that ended up being a Super Bowl title and going to another Super Bowl where the offense couldn't put it together anything. And still, ultimately, they found a way to win those games in Carolina, 16 to 12 and, and 17 to 9, I actually think. But 
Are we going to look back at this game at the end of the season and say, this is indicative of where the offense really is, or is this an outlier that will ultimately be remedied? Because I do think there will be better offensive line games than that. I can't remember if I had the Seahawks winning 12 or 13 games when it was all said and done, but my opinion has not changed from that at all. You know, yesterday did not. No. I believe you said 12, and I believe I said 12. But 12, okay. I yeah. also said two seed because Green Bay would go 12 and four and have home field. Was that similar to your I think so, thinking? yeah, because you and I both had them losing in Green Bay week one. And that, we did. And that is a tall task. The problem is is the way that they lost, it looked like the offensive line had zero redeeming value. And that's the problem is is when you watch a game like that, you go, man, it doesn't matter how good. Like, the defense was so good. So good. That was what that might be the best defensive effort I've I've seen from that team. Maybe the Arizona Sunday night game where they tied six six Sunday night football. Yeah. Last that year. was yeah. probably <laughs> I mean, and those were both efforts on the road. Yeah, they were amazing. They they were yesterday. incredible. They were all over the place. You had guys, you know, making plays. The Packers couldn't do diddly running the football until later in that game. But you know, I mean at what point I mean, the defense had to get tired at some point, right? The offense was three and out, three and out, three and out. I was actually unpacking from vacation kind of during commercial breaks and things like that. And I was, my, my wife was helping me and we're walking out to the car during one of the breaks. I'm like, ah, by the time we get back, Seattle will be a three and out. Well, we got back inside and they were already on third and like nine. <laughs> and yes, they went three and out. I mean, and once again, see, the, 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 the real problem is, is when you do have opportunities, you have to be perfect. You have to capitalize every single time, and that's just yeah. that's asking a lot of even you know guys like Russell Wilson, um, you know, in games like that. So obviously, the the offense was really frustrating. Special teams was definitely a silver lining. You know, Lockett takes the opening kick, what to the thirty five yard line, forty yard line, to start the game. Not that they did anything with it. You know, John Ryan was constantly pinning Green Bay inside the ten yard line which obviously helps your defense as well. So, you know, there were a lot of positives. Blair Walsh looked good going three for three field goals. Yeah, he did. Um, in a place that he's familiar with, obviously, playing there once a year when he was in Minnesota. So, you know, there were definitely, in my opinion, more positives than negatives. And I feel very confident that they're going to beat the 49ers this week. Yeah. But, you we know. We saw what San Francisco looked like yesterday. And they're, I think it opened at 13 points. Seattle's a 13-point favorite, which is crazy when you think they scored nine points week one, that they are a higher favorite than points they scored against the Packers. But I, I think that you have to feel pretty good if you're a Seahawks fan right now about their chances you know, in their home opener. So what do you think could be the expectations for this offensive line moving forward? Is it not getting Russell Wilson hurt? I mean, at this point, I don't know what you can do because you're in the season unless you make another – Trade right. I don't. I don't see what you can do either. So I, I mean, this is this I, I is what just, you have. You're just hoping that it's too bad. Fan got hurt. I can't is. believe I'm saying that, but I really thought that he would make a year one to year two jump and and be better than Riso Diombo. It is that fumble still happens probably with even with him in there because you know. And let's not act like Russell could have protected the ball a little bit better there. I mean, it's it's tough. You can't he could have, tol- but he had one hand on it. Look, you're one game into the season, and he's already hearing footsteps. There was one play, I think, in the fourth quarter when they're trying to drive down the field. I think when they kicked the field goal, that that drive, the final field goal. Yeah. And he, like, he actually had a pocket, and he immediately still, you know, I mean, he uh, heard footsteps. I mean, look, every quarterback, Tom Brady heard footsteps Thursday, and he's the best of all time. He yes. went 16 to 36. 
Yes, but that but that's my point is you're in week one of the damn season and you already have your quarterback kind of running scared a little bit, which is not good, not ideal. Um, I, I think that your expectation is much like last year. You know, I, I think that the only the only chance this team is going to be good and they're going to have a good record and they're going to win their division. I feel barring catastrophic injury, I feel very confident saying that. But beyond that, making a deep run, going to the Super Bowl, it's going to have to take home field advantage. So other teams slipping, um, in my opinion. That's just how I look at it because I don't see this offensive line going on the road and being better than less than mediocre. I think we will see maybe one or two other games this season that was like Sunday. That bad. In terms of offense. Maybe one or two. But not like 10 or 11. No, I agree. I I think that was near the floor. Um, I don't know how it can get much worse. It can't get much worse. And you got to keep in mind, like, you know, football, it's a fragile game flow is fragile. You know, if one of those sacks is actually a Russell Wilson escape and a 50 yard bomb to Baldwin, then maybe then it changes. Right. And we've seen those type of plays happen a lot. In fact, Seattle's best offense right now is when Russell Wilson escapes and and finds someone 20 yards down the field. Uh, by the way, shout out P. Rich. Thought he played a good game. He did. He played a good game. You know, Doug. Quiet. Four quiet four for t- the first quarter and then, or first half and then really came alive. Well, the last possession of the first half, he came alive. Which, by the way, stealing yeah. three points on that last drive yeah, was pretty Green nice. Yeah, after Green Bay calls two timeouts, yeah. that, was, that felt good. Doug Baldwin, you know, Doug had four targets, you know, caught all four of them. I don't know what much more he can do, you know, given that Russ had virtually no time to uh, to throw the football. You know, that being said, I, I, I do feel like, you know, there were obviously some silver linings with the receiving core. Jimmy um, Graham's got to catch the football. I mean. Bad game from him. You're, you're, you're exactly right when you say, you know, there's no room for error, especially for your high, highly priced tight end. It puts a lot of pressure on you, but you got to catch those, that football. Yeah, you're making $10 million a year. Got to. Got to, got to make those plays. Here are the pass rushes Seattle will face on the road this season. Tennessee, week three. That's a good pass rush. Yeah. Um, Rams, week five. Depends on who's healthy. Aaron Donald's coming back, though. and They looked really good. Well, we know how, how many. How and much. Wade, Wade Phillips is, yeah. like, we we were already struggling with the Rams defense when it was Jeff Fisher and, uh, and uh, the defensive coordinator, Greg Williams. Now it's Wade. We know how much Seattle struggles with the Rams. So The New York Giants. Good defensive line. You have to play them in New York. Arizona, of course, on the road. Niners, whatever. Yeah, over under like 20 sacks in that New York game, by the way. Like between the two quarters. Oh, my gosh. Might be the two worst (laughs) offensive lines in the league. You got Philadelphia, who might have the best pass rush other than the Seahawks in all of football, but they're coming to Seattle Sunday night, December 3rd. You go to Jacksonville, which we thought was going to be a pushover game, and they had 10 sacks yesterday. They sacked Houston 10 times. (laughs) They did look good. So week one though, so let's know. not overreact to that. Yeah, I don't but. want to overreact, but I'm just saying, like, anytime you go on the road, I will have really low expectations for the Seattle offensive line. I'll put it that way. At home, it might Especially be a little on bit grass. better. Yeah. On the road, on grass, I think you're gonna get sacked five times for <laughs> um Positives. Chris positives. Carson's the guy, right? Well, Thomas Rawls in play. You know, yeah, but I mean, Eddie Lacy. I think Eddie Lacy's just bad. I don't have <laughs> yeah. any hope for him. I think he's bad, especially if he doesn't have blocking. Like he yeah. has to have blocking and just get a little momentum, one or two yards down, to have I, like a four or five yard run. 
But if he doesn't have blocking, he's a bad running back, as a lot of running backs are. I get it, but he cannot create worth beans for himself. I thought Carson looked pretty good, though. No pun intended with the beans, but yeah. Oh, yeah. Go yeah. ahead. Yeah. Carson did look good. Carson looked good. Mm-hmm. I think he's I like the guy. Him. He's pretty big, too. I didn't he realize is. how big he is. He is. Um, pick him up in your fantasy leagues if you can. He made uh, lemonade out of lemons multiple times. Not mm-hmm. that he had a lot of opportunity. It's hard to run the football when it's you know second and fifteen every time. Yeah, it's, uh, it's oh penalties too. By the way, not easy. Good God. Okay, so but before we even get to the controversial penalties, false starts. Uh, there was a holding in that game. I mean, there were I think two false starts. Once again, your offensive line is already bad. One of the false starts I think was on either Graham or I think it was Luke Wilson actually. It was Luke. Yeah. You know, the, once again, those are just the little things, right? That that non-offensive line players do the little mistakes that add up when there's no room for error. So another frustrating part. All right, uh, last few minutes here. The Jeremy Lane, Devonte Adams play. Pretty simple. I thought it was a way overreaction by the ref to an unnecessary movement by Jeremy Lane. Also, uh, the block in the back by Cliff Averill. I would say it's the same thing. Overreaction by the ref, unnecessary play by Cliff Averill. So who's the blame on? Yeah, I, I got to tell you, when I saw when 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 I saw Aaron Rodgers running and I saw Cliff Averill push him, I thought they were going to throw a flag. Like before the flag was thrown, I was like, "That's a flag," because the ref like looked back. Like it was just one of those situations. Like you're in a speed, you're like like you see the cop, you're going ten over, <laughs> and you see the cop, and you're like, "Crap!" I do unfortunately I know that feeling. Yes, it's also similar to like. <laughs> Riding the intersection and being like, oh, damn, that's a yellow light. Oh, it's red. Oh, what's up, camera? Oh. Yeah. 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 So uh, I, I have to say, and then Cliff Averill after the game said they, they use Michael Jordan rules on, on Aaron Rodgers. Okay. Well, if you know that, and you've played against Aaron Rodgers, by the way, quite a bit in your career, having played in Detroit, don't do that. Like, don't. It was unnecessary. And if you know that they will call flags on little stuff, on ticky-tacky things against him, why are you even making that decision? So, yeah. uh, to me, the officiating was not great, but it didn't determine the outcome of the game. In my mind, the offensive line was atrocious. And when you, once again, margin of error, if you're depending on officials to make plays for you, uh, that's on you. Yeah, I mean, I will my, I will always side on the uh, the fact that you can always play better to win a football game, and there's no doubt that that was the case here. But, other side, you know, Jeremy Lane should not have been ejected. Whatever he did, there's no video evidence to suggest he warranted an ejection. I gotta say, I think the NFL, if they're going to allow ejections, which they do, you gotta review it, right? Like, there has to be a review process there if you're going to eject a guy from a game. I would agree with that, yeah. I, I would I, agree with I, that. I was As I'm watching it, I'm like, wait, they're not going to review that? And then I realize that's college with targeting. Targeting. That's when they review it. Though they get that wrong half the time anyway in college, but I mean, if you if the if the officials saw that play, saw the replay, I guarantee you, they would have reversed that decision. Yeah, I think Mike Florio is uh, he sees everything right, and uh, he sided on the Seahawks both. He didn't think it was a block in the back on Averill, and and I I do agree. Mike Pereira. Yeah. What do I say? Mike what Florio. Did... Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry. Well, God, that's a big mistake on me because. <laughs> I think Florio's good, but he does definitely doesn't see everything right. My bad. Mike Pereira sees everything <laughs> right. He said, uh, Cliff Averill, that was not a block in the back. I agree, though. I completely understand what you're saying. Jeremy Lane did not warrant an ejection, let alone a penalty. I agreed with both of those counts. Jimmy Graham in the end zone was a PI. That's first and goal from the one. 
I did think like I agreed on all of those. And 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 if you if you say the refs would make the right call in each, each of those scenarios, which I understand you should probably expect a wrong call here or there. But if they make the right call in each of those scenarios, I think Seattle at least I mean, that's two touchdowns. Yeah. Let's be real. That means Seattle still had the ball in the fifty after the interception. So you, you gotta at least get three points there. Yeah. Gotta totally. move the ball twenty damn yards. Totally. But it would have been a defensive touchdown and a and a first and goal from the one, which I maybe you I hope should, they could but get I it assumed it they'd would probably be a throw touchdown. it. But and that's not even a crack on the Super Bowl. Oh that was more of a gosh. crack on the fact they can't the offensive line can't block worth <laughs> beans. Real quick on the Jimmy Graham play. Clearly it was PI, you know. I thought, though, when I saw the play, I was like, I, I didn't really, like, yell at the TV because I thought initially the ball was uncatchable. Like, when I saw the play, I was like, oh, they ruled it was uncatchable because the ball was pretty high. But, you know, Jimmy Graham's so tall, you know, you feel like he can at least try to make a play on that football if they're not literally, whole, you know, dragging him to the ground. The official later said that the ball was uncatchable, which is why he didn't throw the flag. You know, in hindsight, I think that he was wrong. <laughs> but I, when I saw the play, too, I was like, oh, that ball wasn't catchable. Also, there's a, to me, there was also a, a slight difference between that play and, say, like Jimmy Graham going up one-on-one on a designed fade route, wherein that was already a broken play to begin with. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, Wilson was already scrambling right before he gets it, just lofting into the end zone. Now, was it a P.I.? Yes. But you're probably not going to get the benefit of a of a 50-50 call or a 60-40 call, you're probably not going to get the benefit of the doubt when it's already a broken play and yeah. the defense has already earned advantage on the play. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, like if that's a design if it's fade a design route play, and, so, and they're grabbing the back of his jersey and he's trying to, you know, I that's mean, different. I, I A agree. ref's going to throw a flag there, but if he already sees that you're panicking because you've, you've lost the front end of the play and then you're going to get bailed out, even if it is a P.I. call, I think human nature there is he's probably not going to throw the flag. I will say the worst part of NFL at this point, in my opinion, is pass interference. Teams constantly rely on officials to bail them out, you know, in plays like that, or they'll, you know, it's like third and long, and they'll just toss some ball into double coverage, hoping there's pass interference. Player Devontae Adams, I think, asked for P.I. like 10 times in that game but when there were incompletions. It's gotten to the point where every time there's an incompletion, I'm looking at the periphery, seeing yeah. for, looking for yellow. Well, and the players complain. Yeah. The crowds boo every time there's an incompletion, pretty much. Unless crowds are idiots, straight by up, the way. They are. I'm including <laughs> Yeah, yourself in that. Every home crowd is an idiot. Yes, that is very true. But it's 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 kind of ruining the game a little bit how much we see these players just begging for... Like, even early in the game, yeah. there was a P.I. call on Seattle that I thought was a bad call. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shaquille Griffin, by the way. Good Two game. thumbs up. Played really well. I like him. Uh, Jer- as, Jeremy who? You know, and the problem with Jeremy Lane is he's kind of on a short leash, right? Like, fans are already a bit fed up yeah. with him. He got burned early in that game and then ejected, and you're like, damn, dude. Yep. Um. All right, so probably went against San Francisco, and then you go on the road to Marcus Mariota in Tennessee, which, you know... Should be a good game, but anytime you go on the road with this offense, you got to prove it to me before I, I, I think have faith in you. Well, and I think that um, I think we're all keeping a close eye on the game this week, even though there's a lot of confidence. I think Seattle will win just because San Francisco is not a good team at all. Yeah. But if the offensive line doesn't show much improvement, I don't, you know, I don't know how you feel well, confident keep in mind, on the road. This is the game at home when Russell got hurt last year. Eli Harold. Yep. Dragging him down too. from behind. And that totally changed the game, and it changed the season. When so, the game was out of hand. Yeah. So what are you going to do? All right, we got to wrap it up there. Boy, Seahawks defense was awesome. Just got to say that, even though there was a lot of negativity a on the plus, plot today. A plus effort. That defense is on fire. You have to feel great. 
let's let's break down the defense a little bit more Friday. All right. We'll, yeah. we'll lead off with the defense and how freaking amazing they are and, and their their future for the 2017 season on our Friday pod when we preview San Francisco um, and uh, get a look at the week two NFL schedule. Brian Perkins, I'm Judah Newby. Perkins, welcome back. Good to have you. Yeah. We'll see you Friday, everybody, on 1029 The Game.